It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. I feel like a good place to start, Chris, is to admit something that's slightly embarrassing. But sometimes I have really vivid dreams, and you were in my dream last night. So I think I was wow. really okay. looking forward to this recording. Okay. <laughs> At a grocery store. That's all I remember. Okay. Grocery shopping. This might get uncomfortable. I'm just I'm, wait, I'm waiting waiting for more, but was I, was I help, that's all I remember, sadly. Help, but helping you helping you with like picking out avocados, or was it more like in the almond milk section, or was he clothed? That's what I want to know for sure. Okay, yes. I usually okay. I usually am when I go to the grocery store. Most of the time, <laughs> I try to remember that. Although I do live in Portland, Oregon, at least a lot of the time, and in Portland, it's really kind of not a thing, you know, to see somebody in any any attire or non attire. Is that is keep Portland weird the official slogan of the city? Yeah, which interestingly they stole from Austin, so they can't you know claim it to be their original their original slogan. But I think it's it is accurate and reflective. But that's good because who wants to be normal? Like if the alternative of weird is normal, you know why would you want to be that? That's true. That reminds me of a book that I I just finished reading last night, and actually. It reminds, there's two books, Chris. One is a uh, status anxiety. Alan Zapotin. Yep. Have you read that before? Mm-hmm, I have. Wow. I'd never heard of it until a few weeks ago. And it was quite eye opening. And uh, they talked about, you know, all so many different things. That book is incredibly in depth. Jason, I feel like you would really love that book, but they talk about the rebellion against society and then the desire to fit in and the whole history of how humans have had this desire for status. And then the other book I was reading and I'm almost done with, which I've been loving, is called The Anatomy of a Calling. And Chris, your name was mentioned in it. And it was just like this random moment. And that's actually something the two of you have in common. You you both know the author. Uh, that's uh, that was that Lissa's book. Yes. Mm, yes. And yeah. Yep. So yeah. it was just ran- randomly reading reading along, and all of a sudden your your name pops up. I forget what mm-hmm. the context was. Have you actually read the book, or do you just know that you're I in? I think it? I did quite a while ago. I think I may have blurbed it actually, if not that one, a different one of Lissa's. Yeah, I've known her for maybe a decade. Amazing. Well, Chris, uh, I know we have some things that that we want to just have a, a expanded conversation. You know, things about abundance and things about facing financial fears and self-worth fears in a time of great stress and strife, blah, blah, blah. But I want to get back to cats. Okay. So absolutely. So cats, what is it it about the feline energy that seems to appeal to you? Why cats, man? Why are you so attracted Uh, to cats? What's what's up with the feline? Cats just do what they want, you know? Cats are just like, don't care, basically. And um, I don't know, I guess that's kind of I've always been like an independent thinker for better or worse. And, you know, was fortunate to have some like life forming experiences, you know, dropping out of high school and then like later going to college, but like, you know, navigating this whole like early adulthood thing in a different way um, than a lot of my peers did. And I spent a number of years in West Africa as an aid worker, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I always had this independent path. So I guess I respect that trait in cats, but also, I don't know, cats, they're fluffy. You know, they're, they're fun to be around. It's <laughs> nice when they sit, sit on your lap, you know. So even though they are independent, they do what they want. They're also, 
you know, my cat at least is kind of codependent. Um, so she kind of likes, she kind of likes people. She likes to hang out with people. And what is your cat's name? Uh, her name is Liberia or Libby. Oh, very sweet. That also reminds me of, of how I was reading the books I just talked about, which is Libby. And I'm anxiously waiting for your new book to be available on Libby. To That's how I, I get a lot of books these days is to go on there and get the Kindle or audiobook version. And it's kind of neat because I've always loved libraries. And so it's neat to be able to digitally borrow books. And I do all my highlighting there so I can return books without all the, the notes scribbled in them. And uh, it's just such a great resource. Do you use that as well, Chris? I don't use it actively. Um, I think I do have it like on my phone. Um, but I think it's a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I'm a fan of libraries as well and like to support them. And so it's a great way to just kind of bring that into people's households or wherever they are. I mean, I always want my books to be accessible to anybody in any form, you know, whatever is best for them. So that makes right. me happy. And it's also nice from a, a minimalist perspective. And, and for you as a an avid traveler or somebody that has kind of bouncing around the world a lot. I have been reflecting a lot about book ownership and I've always loved having books. And Jason too. Jason actually has so many books. He doesn't know what to do with them. <laughs> and last year when I did, or maybe it was two years ago, whenever I did the the life-changing magic of tidying up and going through all my books, it really gave me perspective on and what it means to have a book, right? And a lot of times we just they just sit on our shelves and we we pick them up once in our life and then they just sit there the rest of the time. So I started borrowing books through Libby and you can still highlight them and it saves all your highlights and you can get them again and again. And it's been actually a, a wonderful process because it's kept the clutter down in my life. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I read ebooks and I still like print books as well, but I I'm happy. Like I said, I like I like all formats. Um, yeah, and sometimes Audible, whatever you know. That's the one trick I know. Jason's really passionate about having physical books, and mm-hmm. I definitely enjoy it. But I, it's I feel conflicted because I don't like mm-hmm. them taking up all that unnecessary space, and then no. it feels like a waste when when you're done with a book and you're no longer reading it and you're... But you could pass it yeah. on to somebody else then at that point. I think it just goes back to what you're talking about being intentional and, you know, does this spark joy? It's just, does this have a place in my life, et cetera? And as long as it does, then you, you keep it there. And if it doesn't, then it can go, you know, perhaps to someone else. Right. Unless you're like me and you highlight every book that you read and put notes in it. I always feel awkward passing that on to somebody else. Because I, mm. I really don't feel like I can comfortably because, read a book without uh, putting notes, highlights, lines, all sorts of things in there. Is it because you know that person or like you're not you're worried about what they see or is this you don't want to give them like a book that you feel has been defaced in some way? I think it's more the latter. It's not it's uh, not that I'm don't want people to see what I'm highlighting. It's more that yeah. I don't want to ruin their experience of reading mm. the book. But then again, okay. it could be helpful. Maybe somebody yeah, right, just wants exactly. to shows them what to focus on. Exactly. Do you do that too with your books? Uh, I do. Yeah, I don't, I don't highlight a lot, but I will sometimes like make some notes mm-hmm. in the margins and such. Yeah, it's a little bit of an obsession. and But you know what's neat is that when you highlight a book in, the, in Kindle, which can be connected to that Libby app, then you can go back and search through all your notes. So I actually use that for a lot of my projects. I have all of my notes from books that I'm reading. Anytime I want to go back and reference something, 
I can just go and, and search for a keyword in my highlights and have all of my notes from books in there. So it's a very nerdy process. To me, I think um, my relationship with books is something that is a, a massive carryover from childhood. Whereas instead of going to sleep with stuffed animals as a very young child, I would actually go to sleep with books. I started reading at a very, very young age. And I don't know if abnormal is quite the word, but an ab- yeah, an unusually young age. And, um, and so for me, having a physical book, I do realize it probably contributes to clutter. And I probably realize that it's uh, not exactly going in the direction of the, the minimalism that I would like. But there's just something about the tactile smell and sensation and feel of having a physical book that, I, I don't know, for me, just having a Kindle or a tablet, it doesn't quite replace that that feeling for me. The other thing, Chris, you know, this visual of the money tree in your in your book, <laughs> another thing that I'm I'm a little embarrassed to admit, but not quite because we're in the we're recording this during the time of of quarantine and physical distancing. And uh, well, first of all, let me ask you a question. Do you use or like watch or contribute to TikTok at all? I do not actively use TikTok. Once in a while, when, usually when I can't sleep or something and I'm up for like an hour in the middle of the night, which happens a fair amount, you know, I'm like, oh, let me, let me go watch some some TikTok videos. So I like to keep up with the kids or keep up with what the kids are doing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there's some good cat videos on there. Jason actually just found an amazing one. Oh, sure. Last yeah. night he sent me. So yeah, I kind of observe from a distance. Okay. All right. I feel like you you could create some really great content. There's a lot of good travel content on there. Maybe you can upload old videos or something. Anyway, so because of TikTok, that's that's been fully integrated into my life. And uh, I have, I got into this game called Animal Crossing. Have mm-hmm. you heard of this or come across I have, that? Anymore? I have spent a lot of time playing Animal Crossing. Have you? Yep. Oh my, that makes me really happy. So I don't feel mm-hmm. alone. So I, I'm brand new to Animal Crossing. What did I, you name your island, Whitney? <laughs> this is also embarrassing. I mean, because I, I got the game just a few days ago, I decided to call it Corona. Okay. <laughs> That's an island that a lot of people are living on right now. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that was and the you first know you can thing. never. You know you can never change it. Oh no! Mm-hmm. Yep. See, these are the things I'm learning. I, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, sometimes you got to name it. It's like the sure, sure. It's founded during a certain time, and it'll, I'll mm-hmm. never forget my the history of my island That's on right. Animal Crossing. But the reason I bring it up is I learned recently through TikTok, which is where I'm I'm learning a lot of Animal Crossing strategies. Mm-hmm. Is that you can plant money trees. Mm-hmm. Is this I just heard, a? Is yep. this a? Because I hear there's different versions of Animal Crossing, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is like a New Horizons, which is the new version of it thing, right. or if that's been around for a while. So I'm curious. Do you have any experience with money trees in Animal Crossing? Well, it was a long time ago that I played. You know, the previous incarnation of it. I mean, it's like been ten years or something. So I don't remember if I had a money tree in that or not. Um, but yes, I have seen in the new one that they have them. So I'm, I'm looking forward to There you go. That. See, maybe you can create some TikTok co- content around <laughs> the money tree and Animal Crossing. And there that's really what the kids are all about on TikTok right that's now. Great. That's great. And, awesome. you know, it, it's actually a, a nice segue, too, because the reason that I decided to download Animal Crossing was was because so many people were talking about how it helped them feel more calm. And right now we're feeling very 
for many people culturally, you know, like as a society, not necessarily as individuals, but so many people are experiencing anxiety and stress and they're just looking for outlets or looking for escape. And I was really curious about what that experience was like through Animal Crossing. And it's so interesting how people can be a bit opinionated when it comes to things like, oh, you're wasting your time playing a game. But if that is making you feel less anxious, is that if that's giving you a calming feeling or or a temporary distraction, I feel like it can be really helpful. So it's funny how I've been observing myself play this game from my personal level of of an outlet, and then also almost like from a professional standpoint of of uh, trying to understand why people enjoy games like this. Mm-hmm. Well, it goes to that that old saying about how time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time. Mm. Hmm. Right. That's so. important. In, th- that's interesting to me because what what I reflect on, and I was discussing this with with Whitney Chris a couple of days ago, is so many of the mm, I don't know coaches, thought leaders, a lot of people on social media who are are in the kind of motivational realm, and I know that's a really large umbrella to classify people under, have been putting out a lot of messages about use this time to be incredibly productive. Use this time to build toward your dreams. Use this time to, I don't know, keep a high vibration and, and, and keep hustling and keep moving forward. So it's interesting to see that there seems to be this, I don't know, kind of uh, pressure coming from certain people of like, make the most of this time. And some people are like, I just want to eat vegan pork rinds and play video games. That, that feels productive to me. That feels good. <laughs> So I, I guess to me, I'm trying to be in a state of non-judgment, not so much toward others, but toward how I feel I'm spending my time because I do feel there's this subconscious mm, pressure that I start to feel of I'm not doing enough, which is, of course, part of my whole lexicon of not enoughness in general that I'm still fighting. But especially now having all this time at home, you know, I, I'm curious, what is your relationship with productivity and abundance and kind of work right now that you're indoors? What's been your, your dance with that consciously? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm kind of on that side of, um, of you know, use this time well. But I think, you know, what, what that means is going to be different for different people. And so I understand if, if somebody needs to kind of get away, I understand if people need to withdraw, like I, I totally accept that. You know, I've had different mental health issues of my own in the past and had to deal with them in different ways. I think for a lot of us, though, this is why it's an individual answer. I think for a lot of us, and certainly for myself, I actually do want to use this time to invest in myself and see what I can create, see what I can offer to the world, try to see it as an opportunity because there's not much I can do about it. There's not much that most people listening can do about this, you know, global situation. So first of all, it's like, Shout out to everybody who actually is, you know, working in the medical field, first responders, everybody in the hospitals, et cetera. They're on the front lines. So for all the rest of us, you know, what can we do? You know, first thing we can do is, you know, we can be safe and we can try to keep other people safe. We, we know that. But that is that is fairly passive, you know. So for me, it's like, what, what, what can I do actively? Well, the only thing I can do is create. I and I am motivated to create. For me, it's not a burden. It's it's more of just like an imperative. It's more like what do I what do I do when I wake up in the morning? Oh, I want to make something. And maybe that's problematic in some ways to like base my you know self worth on what I produce. But you know, I guess for me, I've just found the right balance um, to where there's that whole question about like if you could do anything, like if time and money were no object, what would you do? And I really feel that for me, like the answer is like what I'm doing right now, pretty much. Like I I would be writing books. I would be trying to reach people with a positive message. I would be trying to 
provide practical tools, et cetera. And that's what I, that's what I like to do. So I think there's a place for challenge. I think there's a place for saying like, Hey, use this time. Well, and you know, if you need to withdraw, as I said, that's fine. But if you find yourself like just watching, you know, Netflix or whatever all the time, and you don't feel great after that, then maybe the answer is that you should be doing something different. Yeah. It's, it's requiring a lot of us to be self-aware and, and tuned into how we're feeling during all these different daily experiences and what makes us feel our best. And to piggyback off that conversation, I think one thing that comes up for me is right now, and this is such a great time for a book like yours to come out, Chris, about money, because a lot of people are terrified about their finances. And I think that's part of the stress that people are feeling is, is you know, it seems like part of the world is is looking at this almost from for from a break standpoint. Oh, I I don't have to go to work, and so I can relax a little bit more than usual. I don't have to go to school, so I I don't feel like I need to, you know, get dressed in a certain way or or have to rush onto campus. All these different things that we think about when when it comes to work or our careers or our education, those have, have been removed, and we we most of us are still doing something unless you were completely laid off or you know whatever happened with your job and you don't have any work and and so a lot of people are having different responses to it and i feel like one of them is this fear that if you're not productive right now that the time is wasted and that you won't be making money as a result right it's like this is another thing jason and i talk a lot about is is kind of like the hus- the hustle culture of you have to keep going all the time. You have to keep hustling. Otherwise, you're not going to get where you want to be career-wise, which is usually tied into some sort of financial objective. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're talking to the person who wrote the book, Side Hustle, you know, (laughs) and I I produced the podcast, Side Hustle School, you know, for the past 1150 days in a row. So, I mean, again, that is like a belief that, that I kind of validate for myself, but I try not to put it on other people. It's not about judgment. I just, I know that there are a lot of people out there who do feel better when they are doing something. And so it's kind of like if the shoe fits, right? If the shoe fits, and and I've tried to be like, to be like that, you know, for 10 years since I started the art of nonconformity. I remember when I started that and I went on my first book tour and it was um, just this crazy experience of going to all 50 states and every province in Canada and some places I'd have like, you know, 10 people that came out or whatever. And I'm just trying to build relationships with those people, but had all these interesting conversations because, uh, you know, I'm trying to put forward a bit of an agenda, trying to challenge people, you know, present these like unconventional strategies for life, work and travel is what I called it at the time. And sometimes I would get emails from people because I always said my, my market is discontented people, you know, anybody who's dissatisfied, anybody who's discontented, which is not the same thing as being unhappy. It just means like you're, you're looking for something more than what you have now. And so sometimes I would get emails from people and say like, I'm, my life is pretty good right now. Like I'm ha- I don't want to change. Like, what do you have against me? You know? And I always thought that was so funny because I was like, I'm not against anybody. I'm a recruiter. I'm not an evangelist, you know? And so I'm looking for people who are like, I, I I'm not happy with the way, the way this is. I need to make some changes for myself. You know, nobody is coming along to rescue me what can I do? And so those are my people. And that's, that's what I try to attract and to serve. Yeah. Yes. Oh, what is your definition of hustle? I'd love to know not to interrupt you, Jason. What is my definition of hustle? Um, I don't know. I've never actually thought about that hustle. It's for me, it's, um, I want to make sure I always give you real answers, by the way. That's why I pause sometimes. Yeah, that's great. I love it. You know, here's the, here's what I have said before. It's better when, uh, it's mm-hmm. coming out organically, authentically versus just yeah. a canned answer. 
So I think it's, there's like a scrappy element to it. There's a scrappy, like pioneering element to it of like, I am trying to start something. I am trying to make something happen. It's not necessarily, I'm like, you know, just doing the same thing all the time, expecting different results. It's not like I'm trying to do something because other people expect me to do it. Or I think I need to, to post all these social media, you know, posts because that's what, that's how you hustle. It's not that at all. It's like, there's something you were, you know, you can think of it either like high level or, or low level. And I think they're both appropriate. Like high level is like, there is something that you have to do. There is, you have a calling, you have a mission, you know, there's something that only you can do and you should do everything you can to try to figure it out. Low level is just like, Hey, you know, life is short. You know, how are we going to spend? Mary Oliver says like our one wild and precious life. Like if you don't have the big picture, if you don't know like what your life mission is, then do what's in front of you, right? Like do that. What's that, that phrase? Like do the next right thing. And there's always a next right thing. So what is it that you can do that, that either advances your own position, like improves your, your life, which can be your finances for sure. could be something else uh, or something that improves other people's lives. So I guess that's kind of what I think about. It's like, I'm always like trying to, you know, ask what's next. You know, I think like my, that, that would be my superpower. If I could have any superpower besides like flying, of course, everybody would choose flying and then like invisibility, like those two, but let's say I couldn't have those two, then my superpower would be to always know what's next. Like, what do I need to do next? Wow, that is a superpower. And I love your definition of hustle, too, because it actually sounds different than mine. And I I think it's so important for us to define what words mean to us versus assuming that everybody has the same definition. Because sometimes people use words in a way that we just assume mean what we're thinking of them. But when we actually have these open conversations to define them, we realize that other people look at things completely differently. Your perspective is actually much more like, how do I want to say this? Soothing and <laughs> meaningful. And it just like, sounds really nice. Yeah. And I, I think from my perspective, I've often put a little bit of a negative connotation mm. on the word hustle. It evokes in me this feeling of of rushing and pressure mm-hmm. and not allowing us to fail or mm-hmm. not giving an opportunity to it's interesting see now even for yeah. me I'm like what is mm-hmm. my definition all these <laughs> all these negative words are coming up for me and it's just nice to hear yours what about for you Jason I mean it's hustle is one of those things where it's kind of a it's kind of a double-edged sword for me because growing up in a extremely blue-collar family in Detroit Michigan uh, we have we actually have a family motto and the family motto is, we'll make it fit. We'll make it work. And there's always just been this grit your teeth, get your hands dirty, bleed from your eyeballs to, to do the thing you want to do. And you know, there's two sides to that coin, though. There's the coin of the resilience and the determination and the persistence that I feel like was a, a common ethos growing up in my family. But I have at times as an entrepreneur taken that to the point where I have, I've put my health in, in some pretty precarious positions. You know, you, you mentioned, Chris, um, some struggles with mental health. That's been something that I've been dancing with for the last six years. I was diagnosed with clinical depression, had suicidal ideation. It's something I still struggle with from time to time, nowhere near as acutely as I did six years ago. But part of that around that time was, you know, my TV series on the cooking channel was out. I was doing my first book and I was working so much that I was ignoring my own self-care and my own health. So I think to me, hustle can be something where for me, I've just had to learn where my edge is and not push myself over that edge. Because I know if I push myself over that edge, the Mm -hmm. the consequences of that tend to not be so pleasant for my health in particular. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So and, it comes back to self-awareness essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I also, before I just wanted to touch on a note, cause again, I, I want to thank you for bringing up the mental health component. Right now, friends and family, I actually had a, a conversation with my mom, Susan, yesterday about there are some really challenging things happening with her career and other people in my family back in Detroit and friends of mine. And with, with so many people having the proverbial rug pulled out from under them, whether they you know, had a, a position, a full-time salaried position, or perhaps the gig economy, so many people are, are having what is familiar and what is known completely removed from their reality right now. And I'm curious, you know, what would you recommend in terms of practices to have people manage their anxiety, their stress, their mental health right now? Mm. And as a follow-up question, do you feel like this is a phenomenal time for people to, you know, having their jobs being evaporated and their rug pulled out from under mm. them to, to start careers as entrepreneurs and, and making businesses for themselves? Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that um, about your experience as well. I think I can probably speak more to the second question than the first. Um, just since it's, you know, I don't know that I'm the most qualified to tell people like how to deal with their anxiety, you know, anxiety has lots of, you know, different factors and such. I mean, I can speak from my own experience, of course, but that's about that. Well, that's about it. But let's focus on the that second part about, yeah, I think you said something like, is that, you know, is this the time with all the change? I forget exactly how you, how you worded it, but what it made me think was, you know, this is a time of like incredible, like disruption and um, if you think about disruption on this pendulum with progress, like disruption, you think of as negative and like there are obviously a lot of things happening right now that we wish were not happening. And if we could, we could press a button or flip a switch, you know, then we would just, it, it wouldn't happen at all. But since we can't do that, you know, the first thing we can do, and maybe this helps with anxiety as well, is just to kind of recognize reality. I mean, that's exposure therapy has been really good for me in terms of just like looking at things as they are, not the way I want them to be. Because then you kind of realize, okay, here's the actual situation. I've been thinking of it this way. Maybe I didn't want it to be this way, this other way, but here it is. You know, what can I do next? And so whenever there's, there is um, progress, for example, I like to go to the other side, whenever there's progress, you know, there's lots of advances in technology or in healthcare education, but whenever there's progress, somebody else is harmed. Like progress always harms somebody. So like when the automobile industry came out, everybody in the horse and buggy industry you know, went out of business. It's like, like the classic example. So in the case of disruption, like the, it's like the opposite, basically, like a lot of people are harmed. A lot of the economy is, is, you know, being devastated in lots of different ways. You know, kids aren't able to go to school, et cetera. I have all the, I mean, we could talk on and on about the negative effects. Conversely, what are the positive effects or what does this then allow people to do? And I think of it as a kind of like a reshuffling of the deck. It's like all of a sudden, a lot of things that we have believed, you know, or we have put our security in, we understand now are not secure. And I have always said that, you know, you shouldn't put your, your trust and your, your security, your well-being in, you know, a corporation or in a government or an organization, any, anything external, not because every corporation is evil, not because the government shouldn't provide services to people, et cetera, but just because nobody's ever going to care about your well-being as much as you will. And so I think people are understanding that more. And there is opportunity in a time of uncertainty. And that's like a big theme that I'm starting to explore myself a lot more and, and write and share about. So you have always have to look and say, what, what is the opportunity? What can I do with this time? And a lot of people, in addition to like taking care of themselves, which is the most important thing, if that, if that involves like, you know, the animal crossing, whatever, that's totally cool. But in addition to that, a lot of people are like, how can I, you know, again, use this time to maybe get in a situation where I'm not dependent on my employer uh, either now or when I go back to work? How can I create something that, you know, is going to 
if not address like this direct need of, you know, coronavirus, et cetera, but some other need that is coming out of it, like the need for connection and community. I think your work, like what you guys are doing, like your work is going to be more and more relevant during this time. So that's maybe an example of something that kind of advances, like everybody is uncertain, everybody's afraid. So they're going to come to to leaders and resources who are providing some reassurance and also, you know, hopefully some practical help as well. So I think it's good to just think about all that kind of stuff and like just to be aware, be self-aware, like we said, but also like what is happening in the world and how do I interact with that? What is my place in that? That's beautiful. And I am so excited to read your book. One of the sections of it in the Amazon description Mm. was, you are never at the mercy of fortune as long as you Mm. have an appetite for hard work and a willingness Mm. to step outside of your comfort zone. And I am very fascinated to see what that means in in this book Mm. for this character that you Mm -hmm. write about here and how he's being evicted. And it must be kind of interested, interesting for you, Chris, to have this book come out. When, like yeah. A lot of people are actually experiencing things that your character in this book is experiencing. How long have you been working on this book? And, and what is it like to release something that is kind of like mm-hmm. accidentally timely? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting for sure. I mean, like, we are in interesting times, like all around. Um, but for the book in particular, you know, I started working on it maybe a year and a half ago or so. And it is a story. So it's different than any, all my other books. Like most of my other books are how to. And in this case, I, I am telling a story. I'm still teaching through it. It's like a prescriptive fiction in a way. But um, so the, the goal is you know, for people to read it and enjoy the story, um, but then also go away kind of feeling challenged and, and empowered to a certain degree. And so the, yeah, the, the main character in the story, he's having a like a lot of financial trouble, partly related to these student loans that he had, you know, long ago, like so many people, that's a major, major problem for lots of people these days. But then the, fin- the financial issue kind of affects the rest of his life. You know, he ends up getting evicted. He's like at, at risk of losing his job, even though he has a good job, right? Because a lot of people have good jobs and that's not enough. It affects his relationship and all that. So, so yes, I mean, my hope is that it, it does connect with a lot of people out there who can see themselves in that situation and then maybe identify with how he gets out of it, um, uh, or at least see some hope for themselves and see like a little bit of a path uh, for themselves. As for coming out now, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I've had to change my whole approach because, you know, I was supposed to be going on a 40 city tour and I was really excited about it. Uh, I haven't done a big tour like that. And I I tour for all my books, but I haven't done like a major tour like that in quite a while. And, you know, had everything planned. We had all the venues and stuff, the bookstores and other spaces, you know, I had I think at least 26 plane tickets booked, you know, like about halfway through the process and so on before we realized that that's not going to work, you know? So for me, I have to kind of walk the walk, right? This gives me an opportunity. Like this is a little bit disappointing, but it also gives me an opportunity to think, okay, what's another way to, to reach people. And I mean, in that regard, I'm very grateful, you know, to people like you and your platform uh, to be able to come on and talk about the book. So Yes, I hope that I, I think my, my greatest challenge is like, can we actually get this book, you know, to people like, I really do believe if they read it, then, you know, it can be helpful to them in this time. But there's always like, so many resources out there, there's so much noise, like 99% of the news now is about a single topic. Um, so that's, that's the challenge that I have to embrace and overcome. Right? Well, I think that you're again, the timing of this specific book is really amazing. And it's, it's so wonderful. And when we work on something and it just happens to hit at the right time. And I think that reading a a fictional book is actually very needed. And one thing I've noticed so much during this time, and, and in general, really, a lot of advice out there 
is is nonfiction, right? It's it's people giving you lists of things to do and giving or giving you lectures and trainings, and those are all wonderful. But there's so much of that happening right now, and there's not enough storytelling. And here you are sharing this book. It first of all it reminded me of one book I love by Brendan Burchard, who Jason and I reference a lot. He's made a big impression on our our lives, and he wrote this book, Life's Golden Ticket. And I think that was either his first book or one of the first that he wrote. And it's such a wonderful story, similar to yours. He says it's a story about second chances. And the book has so many lessons in it. So you're reading it and feeling like you're transported into a different world, which is one of the the magical things about reading fiction or playing Animal Crossing. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, well, s- sort of serious about that. But, um, you know, that opportunity to be transported, and as I was saying at the beginning, feeling like you can go on an escape. That's that's one of the huge advantages of fiction. So you, you get to go along with somebody's journey and not kind of constantly be thinking about implementing it in your own life. But when you're reading about somebody's hero's journey, right, which I imagine is probably part of the structure of yours, is the obstacles that this person is going through. And you kind of get to step out of your own life, but then it starts to come back and you reflect on, oh, like I've seen this character go through that and that reminds me of what I'm going through right now. And you can kind of, it's almost like a cathartic experience where you you get to play out in your head how this could work in your own life versus just taking in somebody's information and agonizing about how you're going to apply it yourself. And I really love that. I mean, the same is true with like the alchemist, right? These wonderful stories that that teach us all these great lessons. And so I'm I'm really, really looking forward to reading your book for that reason. And I think a lot of people will find it really helpful during this time and and beyond. You know, we never know when we're gonna go through something like this again, or or even when people go through challenges as individuals, as we all do. You know, it doesn't have to be a global experience. It can just be any type time of hardship where we need something like this to turn to. What comes up for me too in, in all of this, uh, Chris, the the situation and the timeliness of your book and, and the narrative behind it is the opportunity for people to flex their improvisational muscles and be making decisions mm-hmm. on the fly. And I think it was Mike Tyson, was it perhaps, it was who said everyone's got a plan until they get punched yep. in the mouth? Yep. And, and, and it's like, okay, you know, as a society, one could perceive this as a great collective cultural punch in the mouth for humanity. And I think the narratives regarding uh, how we ought to live our lives are sometimes structured so much about planning, mm-hmm. investing, and, and making sure your portfolio is diversified. But you know, with the stock market being what it was recently, a lot of people have, I don't want to say lost, maybe temporarily taken a hit to a lot of their wealth that they've built. But one mm-hmm. thing that I, I don't see as necessarily emphasized in our society, and I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on it, is, is the ability to improvise, the ability to make things up on the fly, the ability to take a spark of inspiration that you've never felt before and just go with it. So what are some ways that you see, you know, improvisation working in your life as a as a human and an entrepreneur? And how do you suggest people cultivate that ability more in their lives? Well, I think that is actually the essential ability. I think you explained it very well there, you know, with the Mike Tyson plan, quote, etc. I think we often stress the, the value that you always hear about is persistence. Like that's everybody talks about persistence and, you know, just got to keep, keep going and like, you know, fall down 20 times, you know, get up, try again, et cetera. And I did a lot of research for this, uh, for a previous book called Born for This. 
and looked at all these different companies and individuals and so on. And um, the lesson that really emerged was that the predict the most the, the most important predictor of success was adaptation. Um, it wasn't just you know persistence. It was the ability to improvise. It was the ability to say, okay, I was going to do this, but now this happened, so I must do something else. Or I changed my mind somewhere along the way. I think changing your mind is powerful because we were told all the time, you know, that changing your mind is uh, like this this negative quality or you're kind of wishy-washy or whatever. But if you get new information, you know, it's like the other quote is like, when the facts change, you know, I changed my mind. What do you do? You know, when the facts change, do you just keep doing the same thing? So how do you cultivate that that skill? I think, first of all, you give yourself permission, you know, to change your mind. Like you, you give yourself permission to uh, not keep doing something that is not working anymore or not keep doing something that you no longer enjoy. I think those are the two fundamental, you know, qualities of side hustling or entrepreneurial success or just success in life in general. It's like you're doing something that matters, like it does have an effect and impact, however you choose to measure that could be different metrics or whatever your own standard is. And then, you know, is it actually something that you that you take pride in and you take joy in? And if you get to that point, then that to me is that's the golden ticket. You know, if you get to that point where you're doing something that matters and you can tell it's having an impact on at least some people and you're really excited to do it every day. You know, I, that's why I said to go back to when we were talking earlier about being productive and such. Well, I, I feel like for me, I have found that golden ticket and I want to do everything I can to, to be able to keep doing it. So you, you cultivate it by expressing, you know, to yourself that it's okay to change your mind. You know, the more experiments, the better. I think we also put too much pressure on young people in particular to like know what they're supposed to be doing for the rest of their lives. When the reality is like you, you, your brain doesn't develop until you're 25 or whatever. And most people don't know their life purpose when they're 22 or whatever the age is. And the way that I found my calling, so to speak, you know, I'm going to have to call it a calling, but the way that I found what I'm, what I'm doing is by trying a lot of different stuff and having a lot of different ideas and some of it worked and some of it didn't. But if I didn't do those things, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now. And I'm very grateful for that. You have had so many phenomenal resources on all these topics. And I remember so vividly listening to the audiobook version of The $100 Startup. I think actually Jason might have been with me for part of that. I, I have this memory of us being in the car together. Is that right, Jason? Do you remember that? Yeah, we were... Mm, I believe we were on a road trip somewhere because I do recall listening to it uh, in 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 long chunks, and I mm, it might have been the cross country road trip in, for the Fiesta Movement, maybe. <laughs> no, I feel no? like we were coming back from somewhere in Southern California. We were. Okay. I tend to, I tend to get very vivid memories of when I was listening to parts of podcasts and audiobooks. But I actually my most <laughs> my most vivid memory is cleaning out my closet and listening to that book and just just the way that I started to reframe like all these different possibilities and I think that's been one of the most the greatest gifts that you've given Chris and something that I really want to touch upon here for anybody listening whose whose life has been turned upside down a lot of the times when we're shaken out of how we've been doing things and suddenly we have to almost like start from scratch it can feel incredibly scary because that it's that uncertainty. And one thing that I've loved about your books and your messaging, Chris, is that you talk about all the different things that you can do and how, you know, the $100 startup is like, you can do this with no money or very little amounts of money and create this whole business based on your passions and your skills. And I think that's just so incredibly important because you know, I've been I've been coaching people on things like this for years and I always come back to this idea of 
There's so many different options out there for you, but you have to think outside of your box. And and sometimes you do need to get outside of your comfort zone. And one message that has really resonated with people recently is this quote or just set of words that that we actually shared on our Instagram recently, which is if if you can't go outside, go inside. And to me, that means this is such a great opportunity for us to get more in touch with ourselves and figure out what is that we really want to do right now? What is most important? You talked about the calling. And what are our skill sets? What are the the things that we can offer the world that are valuable that other people would pay for? And to me, that is always the most helpful piece of advice when it comes to figuring out our finances. Because so many people are used to kind of going to a quote unquote regular job, that nine to five. And I also love, Chris, that in your books, such as the side hustle books that you've done, you talk about how it doesn't actually have to be your full-time job. You don't have to pursue your your passion full-time. You can actually do it on the side. And that's really important too, because that's how I got started. I My whole career started on the side of my nine-to-five job. And then eventually, I had the confidence and the stability to quit my full-time job so I could pursue my side hustle full-time. And it really was a huge part of that was tapping into what I love to do and following that desire. And I, I don't think I would have known to do that had I not been more connected to myself. Right. And that's right. kind of the blessing that we have right now, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So all those years ago, you were listening to that book. And then now here we are going to the grocery store together in the middle of the night. You know, <laughs> we talked about before we began this uh, conversation. Right. And you know, what's funny too, is I actually, I don't think I've ever read your book or books about your travel. And I feel like that's Uh been such a huge part of your career. Uh And I I know that it's impacted a lot of people that I I know. One of our Jason and my mutual friends named Kristen, she she was so influenced by you that she started traveling around the country in in a van and it oh, was right. travel That's for right. vegan food. Yeah. yeah, I remember her. Yeah, and I you, that might have been the very first time I heard of your That's work fun. because just your passion for visiting every country in the world. Mm-hmm. And I love that that's still your Instagram handle, 193 right. countries. Yeah, I just keep waiting for them to make a new country and then what do I do? But it doesn't <laughs> it happen, happen very often. It doesn't happen right? very often. It happens about once a decade. Wow. So Has it happened since you traveled? It did. It happened. Yeah. It, uh, it was originally 192 and oh. South Sudan was recognized as the newest country in the world. But like I said, it doesn't happen very often because there's always like little breakaway states and places that declare their independence. But to actually be recognized as a country by the UN is difficult because, you know, Russia has to agree and China has to agree. Like everybody has to agree. So fortunately, it doesn't happen too often. Right. And going back in time for you about 10 years ago when you released The Art of Nonconformity, mm-hmm. which was set your own rules, live the life you want, and change the world. I feel like that that's a little a pretentious. Huge... <laughs> <laughs> but that was 10 years ago. Right. Isn't it funny how sometimes we say things and then we look back on them and we think, uh, yeah. that doesn't really feel good anymore. For you, do you, how does the word nonconformity play out in your life right now? I feel like that really resonates with Jason, mm. by the way. And little side nice. note, mm-hmm. I know that I imagined close with Gretchen Rubin because yeah. she, she mm. uh, gave you a quote for your book. And mm-hmm. she has, um, it's her that did the four tendencies, right? Yep, that's right. 
And so what is you what is your tendency? Jason is a rebel, which is why I bring yep. it up and so not I, I am as well. Uh, ah, rebels our, unite, our, Chris. Archetypal <laughs> rebel. Yeah, I actually blurbed that book on the back as she got blurbs from people from all four of the archetypes and I was the the, the rebel for the it. Rebel uh, so we are also Jason, you and I, you probably know this, but it's the smallest uh, group of the four and obviously the best. Well. well, he's a rebel, I mean, so he he didn't actually read the book. I'm I'm the questioner. Right. You just you just so I, decided he was yeah. <laughs> I, I rebelled because I was told to read the book, and I'm like, no, nah, I get it. No, 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 it's an outer expectation that you resist. Yep, I get Bingo. it. I've had this Bingo. conversation with Gretchen actually because when I first took the test and it said I was a rebel, I was like, no, I don't think this is quite right. And she said, yeah, that's what every rebel says. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I I love that book uh, because. Uh, Actually, it empowered me as a questioner and, and made me feel less like self-conscious whenever I ask the question why. And now I feel like I can back it up now. I'm like, well, the reason mm-hmm. I'm asking why yeah. is, and mm-hmm. I can reframe it for people, but actually it'd be great to talk about rebelliousness and, and mm. non-conformity. I know we're going to be wrapping up soon, but that's sure, definitely sure. something I wanted to touch upon before we do is for both of you, you're very mm-hmm. passionate about non-conformity and setting your own rules and and what is that like 10 years later for you, Chris? And then I'd love to hear from both of you how that's playing mm-hmm. out right now with the change of the world at the, in the moment. Yeah, well, I would love to hear from Jason as well. I think for me, uh, I mean, if I go back to like why I chose that in the beginning, partly it just seemed like this is the value that I've kind of, you know, embodied for most of my adult life and some of my childhood life too, for better or worse, you know, everything has a, a pro and a con, but that's like, I identify with it. And then also just from like a professional, uh, you know, perspective of like, I'm going to be writing about these topics. What is broad enough that can evolve with me? Because I had started a lot of different projects and then stopped, you know, I started stuff and did it for a while. I was really excited. And then like the, the ADD part of me, uh, which is, you know, actual like diagnosed ADD, not just like, you know, have a hard time paying attention, but the part of me like that stops projects and like loses my motivation and such. I needed something that that could evolve and grow and change. And so I was like, art of nonconformity, you know, again, the tagline, unconventional strategies for life, work and travel. I was like, could not get broader than that. You know, like that's the opposite of a niche, right? You know, people are always like, choose your niche. And I was like, life, work and travel, that's everything, you know? So I wanted to just like start with that as an umbrella. And I think, so to combine the personal and the professional, like we are 10 years later. If I look back on everything I've done in the past 10 years, the stuff that has gone well has always been when I have found some different approach or different take, or I have, um, I don't want to say like pioneered something, but I have just not done the same thing that everybody else was doing. And the stuff I have tried, because it's not like it's 100% of that, it's probably like 10%. The other stuff that I've tried, you know, 80% or 90 or whatever the percentages play out, it's when, you know, I've, I've just, oh, this is how people use social media. Oh, this is how people develop products. This is how people create an online course. So I should do it that way. And the results are not usually that good. Whereas when I actually think what's different, who is not doing this thing this way? When I started the podcast, you know, th- three years ago, the daily pod, I was like, I'm going to do a podcast every single day. And there's no interviews. And nobody was doing that at the time. And it, it actually helped quite a lot. And there's some other examples of what has worked well, and a lot of examples of stuff that hasn't worked well at all. But I think that's the buckets. So that's I try to think about that. When I make decisions, what am I doing that's actually like different and unique uh, versus just trying to do what everybody else is doing and maybe do it better? And I'm probably not going to be the one that does it better, actually. Um, there's probably other people that are going to do all those, all those other things much better than me. Mm, and that's interesting, too, actually, because I have that side of me of wanting to do things differently. Like as soon mm. as and, and I guess maybe I have a little bit of rebel in me because when I see a lot of people 
doing the same thing, I feel repelled. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to do that. No. I want to do something complete. Or if, if I'm doing something that a ton of people are doing it too, I get kind of annoyed. You know, mm-hmm. and, I, and that's for <laughs> me tr- tricky as an early adopter for things. I, I like to try things out early on, and then when other people do them, I I get really frustrated, and then I feel like I need to mm-hmm. move on to something else new, right. and and that actually can be really exhausting, <laughs> you know. And yeah. it's it's this cha- like chasing after how do I do things differently? Mm-hmm. I, something I've been reflecting a lot about actually in the last few weeks. Because it, it suddenly feels like so many people are talking about well-being and mental health and wellness and all these topics that I talk about and Jason talk about we do collectively. And I just think, oh, no, is this becoming oversaturated? And it's an interesting balance because you can't just keep running away from, from something and then just doing something new all the time. Sometimes you actually have to stay steady in the course. I found that it's actually been a disservice to me the times when I've given up on something too early because other people were doing it and then it became huge right and and then I'll regret it because I if I just stuck with it a little bit longer maybe it would have really worked out for me so Jason how about you in terms of your rebelliousness and nonconformity I mean it's been a lifelong thing I I I mean my mother and my caretakers and my family can certainly verify this that from as early as they can recant and I can remember I've just had a healthy disrespect for authority and I've really I've really sat and tried to get to the heart of why that has been a part of my mm, personal cosmology in this lifetime and I think for me it's like hmm I don't know I haven't really come to a, a specific I guess reason in my personality why why that might be but I think for me there, there's just been this part of my soul, I guess we get spiritual for a moment. That's like, I, I need to experience the thing and figure it out for myself. And oftentimes I find that, and, and Whitney knows this, that one of my, uh, one of the, the triggers that I have is people giving me unsolicited advice in life and, oh, you should do it this way. You ought to do it that way. And guess what? I made seven figures doing it this way. So use my roadmap and you'll do it, whatever it is. And for me, I think, I think you talked, you, you mentioned, Chris, maybe uh, if I may, you said something about a pioneering spirit or, or, I don't know. My entire life, I've just had this thing of, I want to experience it for for myself. I want to figure it out on my own. I want to have the visceral life that no one else has lived. You know, it's my choices. It's my path. And it always reminds me of one of my favorite Joseph Campbell quotes, speaking of the hero's journey about carving your own path, that if you're, if you go to the middle of the forest, the proverbial forest, if you will, or the literal forest, and you're walking on a path, it's someone else's path. And that your path is found by going into the darkest point of the forest where no one's ever been. And to me, I think that's just been something that's always stuck with me is the curiosity, the sense of experimenting, and wanting to figure it out for myself and not listen to too much advice from other people. But is it possible to go where no one else has been, I suppose? I mean, I guess it's anything's possible, but that's the other thing I've been grappling with. And, and as we start to wrap up, Chris, I'm curious with your perspective. And all these different side hustles and paths that you can go on, and you've traveled all throughout the world. You actually have an amazing perspective of uh, is there really a, you know, how often is it that you come across a path less traveled by, right? You know, is it important to go down a path that few have gone down, or is it actually equally valuable to continue down a path that somebody else is going down? Is it, is it that necessary to do things differently? What is your perspective on that? I think it's important to find the right path for yourself. 
And that path can, can be something that is, is new and different. Or after evaluating lots of different options, you realize, oh, there's a reason why you know, a lot of people choose this path and this is the best choice for me, then that's what you do. You know, if you want to be a medical doctor, for example, like there's a pretty prescribed course for that and, you know, may not be a bad thing to go down that route. I think the, the bad thing is just for everybody to assume, right? To assume this is how my peers did it. This is how, what my parents expect me to do or whatever. So therefore, that's what I'm going to do. I think if you think for yourself, you know, you don't have to be a nonconformist in everything, right? I think nonconformity is just about questioning assumptions and expectations, that healthy, you know, mistrust of authority that Jason talked about. But then in the end, you make the choices that are best for you and ones that don't harm other people and hopefully actually end up helping other people as you help yourself. Mm, and the doctor example is, is such a, a timely one because right now there are a lot of doctors in the world, but it almost feels like there aren't enough. And so what a great point to make is that sometimes we feel like everybody else is doing this. So maybe I won't be seen or recognized or maybe I'll just fall into the crowd. But sometimes we need a lot of people doing the same thing in order to make a difference. It's certainly true environmentally speaking. So I think that's that's an important point to make. Well, since I haven't read The Money Tree yet, I'm curious for you, Chris, as, as we come to the end of this, what do you feel like right now is people are most resonating with or even that you're predicting people are going to resonate with right now with the book and kind of some advice that is needed in this time that you you speak on on this book? Like, I'm, I'm curious, are you predicting that certain people are going to say, oh, this is the part of the book I most needed? Or maybe a usually, favorite yeah. part of of your mm. of the book for you. I don't usually make predictions. You know, I'm not so good <laughs> at making predictions. I actually like before I started my podcast, it was like two years before I was actually quoted in the Wall Street Journal of saying like podcasts are going away. Basically, podcasts are like a thing of the past. Um, so thank goodness you were wrong. Be, yeah, I know. <laughs> not good for me to, to predict. I would say two things though. I think um, you know, not just about the book, but broadly speaking, people are desperately looking for connection and community. And that's going to continue, you know, for some time. But I would say probably even whenever somebody's listening to this, they could be listening to this a year after we recorded it, people are still going to be, you know, looking for those ways to connect and and to feel to be seen, uh, to be heard, you know, to feel that they're not alone, and so on. And a lot of what I try to do with with my work is to show people like, hey, actually, if you have thought differently, if you've wanted something more for yourself, then you're not the only one. And I think the second thing is, you know, even though the book ultimately is about financial independence and financial freedom and helping people get, you know, rid of that burden of debt and being able to make more choices for themselves, the deeper part of that is not just like having more money in your bank account or not having those debt payments every month. The deeper part of that is just understanding that one of the key themes of the book is that you can do more than you think. And there's a character that kind of says that repeatedly. And, you know, the other character like discovers it as, as they go along. And so I want people to know that, um, you know, they can do more than they think. And maybe they've had this vision to do one thing and the vision could actually be, be bigger or more than that. And bigger is not, not quantity necessarily. It's not, you know, like the bigger is like just, um, a more, more depth or a more expansive vision or like they thought they were going to do one thing, but actually that opened a door to something, something totally different. And all they had to do was like walk through that first door. And so I want to help people walk through that first door and then see what lies beyond. Well, I mean, you have me already as a fan, Chris, but now that you've enraptured some Star Wars galaxy lore into it, uh, I, I'm definitely going to dive into this as soon as possible. And um, 
you know, Chris, I think I think right now having you as a resource in these massively uncertain times is so wonderful. And and you know, as we're wrapping this up again, as Whitney said, we've been wrapping up for ten minutes, but there's so much we want to dig into with you that you know the courage to stare down the uncertainty. I mean, I think I think in some ways the thing that I've been reflecting on is that things are pretty much uncertain all of the time. We can't really predict the future. As you said so brilliantly, you don't like to make predictions. We don't know what's coming for us. We don't know what ought to be. But to go back really quickly to one thing that you said that really stuck with me is to you know see reality clearly and not what we think reality ought to be or try and bend reality to our will. And right now, I think you know, a lot of the the opportunity that we can see collectively through humanity is just seeing life for what it is, and um, and using that as our jump off point instead of wishful thinking or trying to manipulate reality for our own egoic desires. So, I just think you as a resource right now, and your wisdom, your experience, your journey can su- serve as certainly a guiding point, a, a true north, but as a soothing balm for people emotionally, just to see like, hey, this is the state of things. Where do we go from here? Well, thank you. That's the goal. And I know that uh, both of you are doing something similar. So I'm, I'm grateful for this conversation. We're grateful for it too. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And like I've said multiple times, I am so excited to read this book. And we will link to that and all of your other amazing work in the okay. show notes for this episode, which are at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go into the podcast section of our website, we have show notes for every single episode. And we hope that you check it out because we've referenced actually a number of different books and resources to support people through all these different topics. And Chris is at 193 countries. Is that your handle on all platforms or is that just Instagram? I don't That's remember. just Instagram. Uh, the rest are my name. So Chris okay. Gillibo, G-U-I-L-L-E-B-E-A-U. So it's chrisgillibo.com or you can also go to moneytreebook.com to learn about the book. I love that. See, you were a little rebellious with Instagram. Why is that? Was it was Chris Gillibo I don't know. taken? Or? It wasn't. Strate- <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of other Chris Gillibos in the world. I was like, I don't want to be Chris Gillibo number seven, you know, <laughs> seven, seven, two, four, you know. Um, Have you actually no. come across a number of Chris Gillibos? Or is, no. Or is, okay, good. I was no. going to say that'd be that surprised me. But there's actually another Jason Robel and oh, wow. Jason Robel took uh, a oh. username on Facebook. Not this one. Oh. Not Gmail. just one. There are Gmail many. Too. There are many Jason Robels, oh. and I've messaged them and been like, "Who yeah. are you? Right, exactly. Who are you?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and remember, Jason, the the Gmail was taken, and and sometimes people accidentally email jasonrobel at gmail.com and it does not go to this Jason Robel. So. It's annoying, but I've learned to live with it. Yeah. Right, you got to recognize reality. Yeah, that's true. I'm not unique. Oh no, I'm not unique. <laughs> there are other Jason Robels. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, Chris. We really appreciate you and all that, uh, that you're doing for the world now and, and in the past and the future and all of eternity. We are very grateful for that and Happy to have you part of this uncomfortable conversation. What would you say was the most uncomfortable part of this? The uh, the part about the grocery store or maybe um, something? I, you know, I actually felt pretty comfortable throughout. So we'll have oh, to man. come back sometime and do it again and try to get more uncomfortable. But I, it, was a, it was a wonderful conversation. So thank maybe, you, Whitney. Maybe you're you just so too. used to going outside of your comfort zone that this just feels <laughs> like a breeze. And what a great example to set for other people, right? Thank you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.